Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I chose an episode of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes entitled In Flanders Fields. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes debuted on the NBC Blue Network in the fall of 1939, starring Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. Listeners at the time were likely familiar with Rathbone and Bruce, thanks to two films released earlier that year, The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Over the next eight years, the duo appeared as Holmes and Watson in 12 additional films and more than 200 radio plays, forever linking Rathbone and Bruce to Arthur Conan Doyle's iconic creations. The first four seasons of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes were written by actor-turned-writer Edith Miser, creator of the original Sherlock Holmes radio series, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Miser's scripts for both series were a mix of adaptations from the established Holmes canon and her own original stories. Sadly, most of Miser's work on the program no longer exists. In fact, most of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes series was believed to be lost until 1986, when a treasure trove of recordings were discovered in the possession of a San Francisco book dealer. These rediscovered recordings were from the mid-1940s and featured scripts by the writing team of Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. When Green's previous writing partner, Leslie Charteris, creator of The Saint, left to concentrate on his novels, Green recruited Boucher, an experienced writer, editor, and critic, but a newcomer to radio. That would change quickly, though. In addition to his work on The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Boucher contributed plots to The Adventures of Ellery Queen and The Casebook of Gregory Hood, a series he created with Dennis Green as a summer replacement for Sherlock Holmes. The episode you're about to hear was broadcast live at the Paramount Theater in Hollywood as part of a war bonds drive. In keeping with the patriotic theme... The story is set during World War I and features an older Holmes and Watson coming out of retirement to hunt down a German spy. The title of the play, In Flanders Fields, refers to the famous World War I poem of the same name written in 1915 by Canadian doctor and writer John McRae. The popularity of the poem led to its frequent use in war bond and recruitment drives during both world wars. McRae's description of poppies growing over the graves of soldiers inspired the widespread adoption of red poppies as a memorial symbol for fallen soldiers. And now let's listen to In Flanders Fields from The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, first broadcast May 14, 1945. In Flanders Fields the poppies blow Between the crosses, row on row That mark our place and in the sky The larks still bravely singing fly Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. 
This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. From the stage of the Paramount Theater in Hollywood, Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us about another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. You know something? If right now it were possible for me to ask every one of you what you had for dinner this evening, I'll bet a good many of you would say chicken. Chicken is an all-American favorite. But boy, you just haven't tasted chicken till you've tried it together with a glass of well-chilled Petri California Sauternes. Petri Sauternes is a perfect mealtime wine, just made to go with chicken. That Petri Sauternes is a white wine, delicate in color, and mmm, mmm, what a flavor. A flavor that comes right from the heart of luscious, sun-ripened grapes. You can just taste those wonderful grapes. And I'll tell you something, that Petri Sauternes is pretty much on the terrific side when served with fish or any kind of seafood, too, and that's a fact. But say, whenever you serve that Petri Sauternes, remember you can serve it proudly. Because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now for our weekly doctor's appointment. Let's knock on his library door and see if... There's no point in doing that, Mr. Slattery. I'm right behind you. Oh, hello, Dr. Watson. Don't tell me you've been stalking me. No, my boy, I was on the patio and I heard your footsteps, so I thought that I'd, I'd come in and fetch you. Let's go back and sit out there, shall we? It's, it's a beautiful evening. That's fine with me, Doctor. Ah, here we are. Now, settle yourself down in a chair and, and light a cigarette, if you have one. And I'll get on with my story. Well, last week, you told us it concerned an adventure that you and Sherlock Holmes had in Flanders during the First World War. That's right, Mr. Slattery, did. I thought that you and the great man had retired at that period. We had, my boy, but it was only natural that as soon as the war broke out, we both offered our services in any capacity that might help our country. Of course, and how did tonight's story begin, Doctor? It was in the winter of that first year. Things weren't going very well for the Allies. The Germans were advancing on Paris, and the picture was looking very black. It was just 24 hours before the famous Battle of the Marne began, the battle that changed the early course of the war, when Holmes told me that we had to go up to the front lines on a secret mission. We'd been in Paris for several weeks, where Holmes had just solved the case of the missing aide-de-camp. I was anxious to get back to England and my work in the war hospitals, but of course this new summons was in the nature of a command. And so... Late on a rainy September afternoon, Holmes and I, with the boom of gunfire in our ears, found ourselves in the front seat of a staff car, slushing and jolting its way towards the battlefield. Why driving too fast for you, gentlemen? No, Sergeant, not at all. No, no, you're doing a splendid job. Oh, my man, look out, considering the state of the road. Thank you, sir. Uh, Hello. Gunfire's getting nearer, Holmes. Yes, old fellow. I imagine we haven't much further to go, have we, Sergeant? No, sir. We're nearly there. Did you notice the two civilians in the, in the back seat, Holmes? Yes. 
handsome woman and a distinguished-looking man several years her senior. I wonder who they are. I'll tell you. He's a Shakespearean actor of some note, oh. though he never achieved the fame to which he thinks he's entitled. I shouldn't be at all surprised if he feels that he's been slighted and not receiving a knighthood. But Holmes, that's amazing. How can you possibly deduce all that from just looking at the man as we got into the car? Elementary, my dear fellow, I didn't deduce it. We saw him twice last year in the London Theatre, if you remember. What? His name is Maitland Morris. As for his biography, he's a friend of my brother, Mycroft's. He told me about him. Well, what do you suppose he's doing up here near the front line? His brother is General Sir Stanley Morris. He was in command of this particular front, and it would seem reasonable to presume that his brother has come up here to give a performance for the front-line troops. Ah, I suppose this hut is as far as we can drive, Sergeant. I'm right so, sir. We're four miles from the front line now. You'll have to clear your papers here. Uh, see that ruined farmhouse there, sir? Yes, Sergeant. Is that the General's headquarters? Yes, sir. Come on, Watson. Good Lord, it's pelting with rain. Yeah, let's make a dash for it. Oh, who goes there? Friend. Give the password. St. Crispin. Pass friends and show your papers. How did you know the password, Holmes? I was given it before we left Paris, old chap. Oh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, isn't it? Yes, Captain. I'm Captain Maxwell, uh, General Morris's aide-de-camp. He asked me to escort you up to his headquarters. Uh, by the way, weren't Maitland Morris and his wife in the car with you? Yes, they're just behind us. Oh, splendid. I'm afraid I'll have to ask to see your papers. Yes, of course. Here's, uh, here's my permit, Captain Maxwell. Thank you. I know you both, of course, but we can't afford to take any chances when they're this close to the enemy lines. Let's see. Oh, yeah, yes, that's fine, Doctor. Everything's in order. All right, uh, yours, please, Mr. Holmes. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Oh, who goes there? Friend. There's the rest of your party now. Oh, good. This is quite in order, Mr. Holmes. Oh, there you are, Captain Maxwell. Oh, hello, sir. Hello, Mrs. Morris. How are you, Captain Maxwell? Well, you've both met Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, I suppose? Well, no, we haven't, even though we drove up in the same car. Natural reserve of us Britishers, I suppose. How are you, Mr. Holmes? How do you do, sir? I know your brother Mycroft very well. Uh, how are you, Doctor? I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Morris. I saw you a couple of times in the theatre last year and enjoyed your performances very much. Well, thank you, sir. Well, then you must know my wife, my leading lady. How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, Mr. You. Morris? Uh, can I see your papers, Mr. Morris? Uh, just a matter of form. You oh, understand? Oh, yes, 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 of course, of course. Uh, Mrs. Morris, I presume you and your husband are going to give a performance tonight for the men going up the front line. Yes, Doctor. We're very flattered. They've asked us to do some Shakespearean things. Oh, yes. Although I should have thought something a little lighter would have been more appropriate. The general, he's Maitland's brother, you know, seemed to think differently. Well, my dear, show Captain Maxwell your papers. Then we can all go along and see my brother Stanley. Very well, Maitland. Mr. Morris, I shall look forward to hearing your reading of Shakespeare's St. Crispin's speech from Henry V tonight. <laughs> Bless my soul, Holmes. How did you know I was planning to do it? Well, the setting is so perfect and the time so appropriate, I can't conceive an English actor who could resist the temptation. Oh. I, I noticed that your brother appreciated the fact in naming today's password. Yes, it's amazingly appropriate. You know, it's almost 500 years ago to the day that the Battle of Agincourt took place. Well, let's hope that the results of the forthcoming battle will be equally successful for you. Yes, indeed. Oh, by the way, Holmes, this will probably seem rather silly to you, but I'm an inveterate autograph collector... And I have my book here with me. I, I wonder if you'd mind signing it. I'd be very glad to, Mr. Morris. Give me a pen, will you, Watson? Uh, uh, here we are, Holmes. 
You'll find yourself among quite distinguished company in that <laughs> book, sir. So I see, Adelina Patty, Crown Prince of Norway. Hello. Field Marshal von Tocknitz. Oh, yes. He was one of my admirers when I played in Munich before the war. I suppose now that our countries are fighting, I should tear that page out. Do you know, I cannot help but feel that art and the appreciation of art are independent of national hatred. Quite so, sir. I myself still have a medal presented to me by the University of Leipzig for some trifling services. There you are, Mr. Morris. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. Holmes. A notable addition to my collection. Uh, I shall be very glad to sign your book for you, Mr. Morris, if you'd like me to. Uh, that's very kind of you, Doctor. Oh, Captain Maxwell, oh, 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 if our oh, permits are all in order, don't you think we should be moving along? That's just what I was going to suggest myself. Uh, I'll take you all straight over to General Morris's headquarters. General Morris, uh, may I introduce Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? How do you do, sir? How are you, General? Uh, how do you do? Uh, know a lot about you. A uh, long way from Baker Street, isn't it? Yes, indeed, sir. Uh, where's that brother of mine? Ah, oh, there you are, Maitland. Uh, Cynthia, uh, how nice to see you both. Oh, it's good to see you again, Stanley. Hello there, Stanley. Mm, the men will be glad you arrived. They're looking forward to your show tonight. <laughs> We're very flattered that they want to hear us do some Shakespeare. Oh, rubbish, old boy. With you and Cynthia up there on the platform, you could read the telephone book and they'd love you. Oh, very kind. <laughs> By the way, you'll find the stage very primitive. Just a few trestles and a large tent and a curtain made of army blankets. And your dressing room will be even worse. Oh, don't worry about our comfort, Stanley. As long as we cheer the boys up, that's the important thing. Yes, of course. By the way, what program do you have mapped out for us? Well, I thought we'd have two shows. Uh, the tent's not large enough to hold everybody at once. Anybody, anyway, uh, uh, we have to keep up an alert all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, think you can manage two uh, separate shows? Oh, of course I can, Stanley. I may look old, but I don't feel it. <laughs> you don't even look at you, scoundrel. <laughs> Thank you. Perhaps we could take a look at the stage and equipment, eh? Oh, certainly. Uh, Captain Maxwell, uh, take them over to the tent and show them what the facilities are, will you? Right, sir. Will you follow me? Oh, yes, of course. See you later, Stanley. Come along, my dear. All right. I'm glad you're here, Holmes. I'm sure I can speak quite freely in front of Dr. Watson. Oh, yes, with perfect freedom, sir. He's my colleague. He's an old army man himself. Really? What regiment, Doctor? The 5th Northumberland Fusiliers, sir. Later attached to the Berkshires in Afghanistan and, and wounded in, in the Battle of Mainwine. Really? <laughs> then I'm sure I can speak freely in oh, front I of him. Uh, Holmes, uh... <laughs> You know why you're up here so near the front line, don't you? I have a very shrewd suspicion, sir. Yeah, I thought you had. That's why I asked for you to be sent here. You asked for me to be sent here, General. Yes, I, I think I understand. Well, I wish I did. Uh, you will, Doctor, in due time. In the meanwhile, gentlemen, I'll have an orderly show you to your quarters. Thank you, sir. And, uh, Holmes, uh, take a look around, will you, and keep your ears open. Uh, where... Comparatively a little distance from the German front lines, and yet there's a very puzzling silence just now. Yes, I noticed that, sir. And half an hour ago, on our way up, there was, there was quite a lot of shilling. Exactly. It's unnatural and rather frightening at a time like this. You see, we're attacking at dawn. The enemy might be trying to infiltrate spies, and the whole success of this battle depends on a surprise attack. I quite understand, sir. Come on, Watson. <laughs>
first performance starts in a few minutes, you know. They're all there waiting. Well, why are we tramping about out here in the mud in the rain? I thought a pipe or two in the open air would clear our brains. Yes, a <clears> pipe <throat> in the open air is one thing, but a pipe in a downpour of rain is another. Was it raining? Oh, didn't even notice it. I was listening to the silence. What do you mean? Thousands upon thousands of Germans. Armed Germans. Full of a blind fanatical hatred and desire to kill. Are crouched in trenches only a mile or two from here. Surrounding us are an equal number of English boys, also armed. And with the will, if not the desire, to fight. Because they know their cause is the cause of freedom and justice. All these thousands poised, ready to pounce on each other and fight to the death. And yet, beyond that patter of rain, there isn't a, isn't a sound to break the stillness of a September evening. Huh. Strange world we live in, old chap. You're being unusually rhetorical, Holmes. Yes, I am, aren't I? Let's be a little more practical, shall we? I wonder what is wrong with the actors tonight. Act? Oh, why do you ask that? Well, a little while ago, I noticed Mrs. Morris in a great state of excitement going towards the farmhouse where the general is. Then she went back to her own quarters, and now she seems to be headed in our direction. Is there anything wrong, Mrs. Morris? It's Maitland. What's wrong with the madam? He's disappeared. Disappeared? What's happened? We were in the tent together, making up for our performance, when an orderly came in with a message. Maitland said it was from his brother. Slipped on a raincoat and went out, saying he'd be back in a few moments. I waited and waited, and after a while I got worried, and I went over to see the general myself. He said that he'd sent no message, and that he hadn't seen any sign of Maitland. Good Lord, what could have happened to him? I don't know, Doctor, but I'm frightened. What shall I do, Mr. Holmes? You're a brave woman, Mrs. Morris. Brave? I don't know, Mr. Holmes. Why? Because the show must go on. I shall take your husband's place. But Holmes, something's happened to Matron Morris. He's in danger. He uh, true, be... Watson, true. What? But a thousand men inside that tent are in mortal danger, too. Tomorrow morning, many of them may be corpses on the fields of Flanders. But tonight, they've been promised to show. Do you think that you can do it, Holmes? Oh, I think I can, with the help of Mrs. Morris. I can't do it, Mr. Holmes. You can, Mrs. Morris, and you will. If only to uphold that great tradition of the theater that the show must go on. We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. Tom, I'd like to take to tell you that if you've got a butcher who has meat and you've got the points to get that meat, don't forget to bring home a bottle of Petri California Burgundy. Tell you why. That Petri Burgundy is a rich red mealtime wine that's wonderful with any meat or meat dish. That's a fact. Petri Burgundy can make a banquet out of a hamburger. And boy, Petri Burgundy and old-fashioned Irish stew are bosom companions. Just get yourself some Petri Burgundy and share it with your family. Petri Burgundy is the best friend a good meal ever had. back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. It is just before the Battle of the Marne in the First World War, and Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are at headquarters a few miles behind the front-line trenches. A famous Shakespearean actor who was to give a performance for the troops has mysteriously disappeared, and the great detective has taken his place at the last minute. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes, alone on the improvised stage, is delivering a Shakespearean speech before a spellbound audience. This little world, this precious stone set in a silver sea, 
which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. Holmes, that shot are you all right? Yes, old chap. Fortunately, I started to leave the stage as the shot was fired. The bullet just missed me. I heard it splinter some wood nearby. But who on earth would want to shoot you? That's what we've got to find out, though I think it more likely that the shot was intended for me. It was not intended for me, but for Maitland Morris, the man for whom I'm substituting. Well, even so, who'd want to shoot him? Oh, don't ask me so many questions, old fellow. Let's see what clues we can find. Now, the shot was fired from outside the tent from behind me. Yes, look there. See the hole in the tent there? By Jove, yes. The footlights would outline your shadow on the back of the tent. Whoever it must have... Must have, must have fired at your silhouette. The question is, where did the bullet embed itself? Aha. Uh -huh. Look here, Watson. You got a penknife? Yeah, wait a minute. Here, Holmes. This shouldn't be hard to extract. Look at this splintered tent pole. Wait a minute. There we are. Excellent. Huh. Very interesting. Well, what's so interesting about it? Just a revolver bullet, isn't it? Oh, no, it, it isn't, Watson. Huh? It's fired from just a revolver bullet. This bullet was fired from a German Luger pistol. A German pistol? There must have been a spy here behind our lines. That's a reasonable enough assumption. Yes, we may be sure that no English soldier would carry such a weapon and face inspection. Come on, I want to talk to Mrs. Morris. Mrs. Morris, I want you to be very frank with me. But of course, Mr. Holmes. You know why your husband's missing, don't you? No, no, I don't. Have you found out anything? Come, come, madam. Why keep up this pretense any longer? I know that your husband is a spy, or at least a, a great sympathizer with the German cause. The general's brother a spy? Good Lord. How dare you say that? Because it's true. Foreign office have been suspicious of his sympathies for some time. His own brother knew it. That's why he asked to have me sent up here to keep an eye on him during his visit. It is true. Why should I keep up the pretense any longer? You see, Maitland was a disciple of Stuart Houston Chamberlain. Oh, who was this Stuart Houston Chamberlain? An Englishman who married one of Richard Wagner's daughters and became a German citizen and an arch enemy of England. I tried to dissuade Maitland. I implored him to consider his British heritage, his brother's name and mine. But Maitland was a strange man. His life was one of frustration and envy. Envy of his brother, I suppose. Yes. When Stanley was knighted, it, it hurt Maitland terribly. He said it was typical that the English would knight a soldier and yet leave a great artist like himself unrecognized. That in Berlin, they really understood and rewarded the artist. Well, if the authorities knew that, it's amazing they allowed him to come so close to the front lines at a time like this. Oh, it was at the general's request. He wanted to plead with my husband to warn him that his secret was known. And now Maitland's gone over to the German line. Oh, it's terrible. It's worse than that. It's, it's disastrous. He can give them information. This is the strength of our, our troops here. He knows the password. He might even know the hour of the attack is time to start. How did your husband expect to enter the German lines in safety, Mrs. Morris? He speaks fluent German, Mr. Holmes. I fancy the autograph book he was carrying containing the signature of Field Marshal von Tocknitz was in reality his pass through the German line. You told the general that his brother was gone, of course. I haven't been able to. He moved up to the front-line position immediately after the first performance. Though I had warned him what I thought Maitland was planning to do. I think he intended to give his performance first, then cross the lines immediately afterwards. 
Something must have made him change his mind. Perhaps he suspected I'd warned the general. Anyhow, as you know, when I got back to our quarters, he'd gone. Uh, did he leave any note, madam? Yes, he did. Here it is. Thank you. I have gone, my dear. Try and understand and forgive if you can. You wouldn't come with me, and so I'm taking what is left of my heart and my hopes where they belong, among the friends that understand and appreciate me. It is something stronger than love and blood and country that makes me do this. It is something dearer to me than life itself. Hmm. Dearer to me than life itself. Oh, how could he? How could he? The shame of this will kill poor Stanley. Mr. Holmes, will you break the news to him? I know it's cowardly of me, but I just can't tell him myself. Don't worry, Mrs. Morris. I'll tell him. Dr. Watson and I will ask Cap Captain Maxwell to escort us to the General's frontline headquarters. In the meantime, try and keep calm. We'll tell him. in the dugout, Mr. Holmes. I'll tell the general that you're here. Thank you, and be sure to let him know the urgency of the matter. Yes, sir. Holmes, this is a dreadful visit. Yes, it is, Watson. Though if my plans work out correctly, I think the success of tomorrow's battle may not be imperiled. What plan? Listen. You know, Holmes, a strange silence from the German line since we came here might be accounted for by the fact that they knew Maitland was making his getaway. They wouldn't want to risk wounding such a valuable spy. Quite possibly. What I still don't understand is who shot at you with a German pistol and why. You're being very dense, old fellow. Surely it's obvious that... Here comes General Morris now. Poor devil. This is going to be a dreadful shock to him. Hello, Holmes. Uh, Dr. Watson? General Morris, I'm afraid that I've bad news for you. Your brother has gone over to the German lines. Maitland did go there. I should have put him under an armed guard as soon as he came here. But, but I thought I could reason with him, appeal to his sense of honor. Instead of which you tried to shoot him, sir. But uh, fortunately for me, you missed. You see, I took his place at the first performance. But that shot was fired from a German pistol. True. That was when I first knew the general had fired the shot. But I still don't see how you could now. Only a high-ranking officer, not subject to inspection, could carry a non-regulation firearm. You're an old army man, you should know that. In any case, you'll observe that the general carries a luger at his waist. Wait, heavens, Holmes, I, I thought I was firing at Maitland. I, I had no idea that, that it was you. You intended to kill your own brother, sir? Yes. And I'm sorry I failed. I, I'd rather see my brother dead than alive and a traitor to mm. his country. But now he, he's safely in the German lines. Heaven knows what secrets he may be imparting. One thing we can be certain of. Our chance of a surprise attack in the morning is gone. Possibly not, sir. Oh, what do you mean? You see, I took the liberty of altering your brother's credentials quite extensively. How, Holmes? I knew of his German sympathies. Mycroft had given me a great deal of information about him, and so I took it on myself to decide that it was unsafe to allow him so near the enemy lines with his own identification on him. Well, what did you do, Holmes? I took the liberty, sir, of stealing his autograph book, the one containing the magical signature of Field Marshal von Tocknitz. I have it in my pocket now. I think we shall find within its pages a code concealed in the various autographs, giving valuable information to the enemy. Good Lord. I also switched uh, military permits on him. 
I felt that in the event that he did go over to the German lines, his welcome might be less cordial if they were under the impression that they'd uh, captured Sherlock Holmes. To make that identification doubly sure, I also slipped in his pocket a slight souvenir of my own. Uh, Joe Holmes, you mean that medal that was presented to you by the University of Leipzig? Exactly, old fellow. I no longer wish to uh, own a decoration given me by a country of barbarians, and it seemed a rather neat and effective way of returning it to them. So the Germans will think they've captured Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir, and unless I'm much mistaken, he'll receive very short shrift of their hands. Yes, they hate you. There's your answer, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, don't be sorry, Holmes. It's better that way. Now his secret can die with him. Excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, yes, Maxwell, what is it? Would it be in order for me to return to headquarters now, sir? It's very nearly time for the second performance, and I've still been unable to trace the whereabouts of your brother. Well, my brother will not be acting tonight, I'm afraid. Holmes, I wonder if I might ask you to take his place once again. If you want me to, General. I do. Maitland had planned to do the St. Crispin speech from Henry V. Uh, he knew how much I loved him. I realize that, sir. Well, I was told the password up here. Well, can you remember the speech, Holmes? Oh, I think so. At any rate, I can try. Then do it for me, my dear fellow, will you? On me. I'll be very proud to do it, General. Goodbye and good luck. Thank you, Holmes. Captain Maxwell, uh, take them back to headquarters, will you? Uh, the men will be waiting for the performance. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few. We band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And all their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispian's Day. Well, Doctor, that was a bit of an exciting adventure you You know, I, I can still remember that awful feeling I had when I heard the shot in the tent and realized someone had tried to kill Holmes. He did have a narrow escape, didn't well, he? Well, Holmes always said there was no such thing as a narrow escape. He said you either escaped or you didn't. If you did, well, why worry? And if you didn't, uh, you couldn't worry. So what? <laughs> Quite a philosophy. I'd uh, like to discuss it with you further. Uh, over uh, a bottle of wine? Uh, how else? Uh, what kind of wine? Uh, naturally, uh... Uh, naturally. Well, you couldn't ask for a more delicious wine than Petri. That's because the Petri family knows how to make good wine. They ought to. They've been making fine wine ever since they started the Petri business way back in the 1800s. And because the business has always been family-owned and operated, well, they've been able to hand on from father to son, from father to son, all they've ever learned about the art of turning luscious grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. That's why no matter what type Petri wine you buy for any occasion, you can be sure it's good wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, how's about giving us a clue to next week's Sherlock Holmes well, adventure? Well, next week, Mr. Clatter, I'm going to tell you in a most unusual adventure in which Holmes and I are trapped in an airtight metal chamber, our only companion being a murdered scientist. Well, sounds like a story we don't want to miss, Doctor. See you next week. Yes. Oh, just a second, Mr. Letter. Before we go, I, I just want to tell our listeners that tonight we're broadcasting from the stage of the Paramount Theater here in Hollywood on behalf of the 7th Wall Owned Drive. The ticket of admission to the theater was a war bond. I'm mentioning this to remind you, our friends, 
that you have an important part to play in making the seventh war loan a success. Buy more and buy bigger bonds than ever before. They're needed to pay for new super forts, new jet-propelled fighters, newer and bigger weapons to lick Japan. Remember, in spite of the magnificent achievements of our forces in the Pacific, the Japanese war has just begun. So let's go all out for the mighty seventh war loan. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventures of the Blanched Soldier. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Oh, the Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, pet, Petri. This is Jack Slattery saying goodnight for the Petri family. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That was In Flanders Fields from The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And this came to us from you... Or where, how did we come across this? <laughs> did you not listen to the intro we no. just recorded? <laughs> this was my pick. It uh, is your pick. Yeah. Our longtime listener, Joshua. <laughs> have you ever listened to the podcast? Because I haven't. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. This is you. Yeah, well, me. I forgot that was a half an hour ago. <laughs> We've been listening to this <laughs> episode of Sherlock Holmes. And I'm I've sorry, re- which one of you is Eric? <laughs> Why did you bring this? But I, I get there's so much here that's so exciting. But what prompted you to want to bring uh, not only this series, but this particular show to the podcast? I beg your patience here as I tell this convoluted story of how I came to choose this episode. Now, this is one of my favorite new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. So it's been on my list of episodes to bring to the podcast for years. And just for various reasons, I don't do it. But... I finally decided to bring it because by a weird coincidence, it is this perfect mashup of all the art and literature I've been consuming this summer because I just started a chronological read through of the Sherlock Holmes canon, uh, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. And that particular reading project was inspired by a recently republished book from 1940 written by Anthony Boucher, the co-writer of this right. episode, and it is called The Case of the Baker Street Irregulars, and it is a really prescient comedy mystery, and it is about a film studio that is doing a hard-boiled Americanized adaptation of 
uh, the speckled band, the Sherlock Holmes story, right. which arouses the rage of the real world Sherlock Holmes fan club, the Baker Street Irregulars. And it details their war with the studio and the guy who wrote it and it turns into a big murder mystery, of course. And it is awesome. I can't recommend it enough. And then I just happened to pick up at a used bookstore, All Quiet on the Western Front. And mm-hmm. I decided to reread it just to torture myself because right. it is... Because you missed seventh grade? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, torture myself as in it is the greatest anti-war book ever written. It right. depressed me for a week. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then just last week, I watched for the first time, and I don't know how I missed this movie, To Be or Not to Be. Have you seen it? With yes, both versions I've seen. Jack Benny and Carol Lombard. I didn't know there was another version. There's an updated one with uh, Mel Brooks and uh, I can't remember the name of the, the actress in it, but yes, uh, they're both great in their own ways. This is a very dark screwball comedy about a Polish acting troupe set in Nazi-occupied Warsaw. Right. <laughs> but as you can tell by the title, there are all these running Shakespeare references and gags. So then I go to my podcast list and I see in Flanders Field and I just go, this is the conflation of everything right. this is sherlock holmes world war one anthony boucher shakespearean actors in wartime and so i was like this is the time something is telling me to bring this episode right now that was more fascinating than <laughs> the intro or the actual uh radio yeah, i show. wish i'd listened to it now yeah right <laughs> now i feel bad it is not a traditional sherlock holmes <laughs> no. story and so it, it caught me off guard. Yeah. And you said, oh, this is one of my favorites of all blah, blah, blah. So knowing how much you like Sherlock Holmes, what is it about this that you're so attracted to when it really doesn't follow the formula very closely at all? No, it's a very oddball episode mm-hmm. of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And personally, those are, are my favorites. I like the outliers because right. I am so familiar with the original Sherlock Holmes stories that I find these things stranger ones more entertaining i also love the original so much that i still think a really faithful adaptation pales to the short story (laughs) so i listen to that and i go "Mm, it would be a lot better to just read the speckled band again for the 40th time so to me this bizarre amalgamation of wartime propaganda the strange mischaracterizations of Holmes and Watson from the films. And also I am fascinated, which I'm sure we'll get into the liveness of this performance at the Paramount theater that devolves into this sort of contagious series of flubs in the second half, (laughs) starting obviously with Rathbone who always flubs a line, but it starts to get catchy. (laughs) And there are moments that I start to question, was there some confusion that we aren't even aware of. Did some lines get cut? Was there a guy running around naked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. By war bonds! <laughs> Without any knowledge of anything you've just said and just being sent a Sherlock Holmes, I was so confused. I think you used the word that catches you by surprise and that was exactly it. Mm-hmm. Of I, like, I would sort of listen and like, all right, this is Sherlock Holmes. I will listen in Sherlock Holmes mode. <laughs> and then he's in the car like, how did you know that about this man? My brother told me. 
<laughs> exactly. What? Yeah, Tim, it's a, I was waiting for the, well, you can tell by the mud stain on his lapel that he has obviously, in, you know, in, in none of that. And it was like, uh, he told me. But that's what I love about this. It yeah. has a number of great subversions of expectations. And yes. that's my, one of my favorites. My favorite, by far, it filled me with joy, was, Holmes, he's missing. What are we going to do? I better take the roll. <laughs> That, what? That is the big commercial cliffhanger. It's not that there's a person missing who either is in grave danger or might be a German spy. It's that the show must go on. <laughs> yeah. And I just love that. And I still didn't buy into it. I still was thinking he's got to do the show in order to catch and solve the crime. Like there's going to be some kind of thing like, Oh, now I see why he was so adamant that he had to be on stage. And then never happens. It was just, no, the show must go on. It was just all about him doing Shakespeare. He didn't care that that guy was missing. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that some of the reasoning in here is this wartime propaganda, right? Because part of what he says is that the show must go on. We must entertain these boys who are all about (laughs) to die. But more than that. The show must go on is deeper in the sense of yes. we must go on. Because the other thing I didn't mention in the opening is this is May 14th, 1945. So this is a week after Germany surrendered. Right. And they mention it at the end that the war with Japan has just begun. Don't relax, everybody. Right. The show must go on. <laughs> we have Keep maybe going. the yep. hardest part still left to fight. Right. Also, one of the most interesting pieces of propaganda in this is If your brother, if anybody, I don't care who they are to you, if they betray America, kill them and it will not affect you. (laughs) Like, and when he dies in the hero, I'm so sorry. Well, he had it coming. Well, he tried to shoot him first. I get that. So he would not be upset by his brother being mowed down. But he was going to kill his brother on the stage. Yeah. And don't shed a tear over it. You're either with us or kill him. It also comes up earlier in Maitland's autograph book, mm-hmm. which is your big clue that he's a spy here. And he has the autograph from Field Marshal Von Toxic. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Um, uh, Captain America used to fight him. <laughs> he has that great line, Maitland. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, I can't help but feel the appreciation of art is independent of national hatreds. Mm-hmm. Now, me sitting in 2021 go, I totally agree with that. That is a fantastic sentiment. But I know that this is a piece of propaganda. So I also know as soon as he says that, and then then as soon as Holmes agrees with him, because there's no way in 1945 your protagonist can go, I agree with that sentiment um, and have it be real. So at that moment, you know he's the spy. right? And yes, I guess that's a weakness in the script. But again, from a historical point of view, I find it really fascinating. Yeah. Think how different this story would be if the general had actually killed Holmes on stage. (laughs) Man, would that be awkward. The end. And no explanation, by the way, of when he says, oh, you're the one that called me up here, the general. And do you know why? Yes, I can guess why. All of that never really got fleshed out. Well, he can guess why because he's already had an interaction with Maitland with his autograph from Von Toxic. Right. Has aroused what? his suspicion. Yes. Because he's already planning right. how he's going to take care of him by then because he mentions the yeah. uh, medal he's received right. from the Germans. So he brought Sherlock Holmes up there to keep an eye on his brother. But he never asked him to because if he would have kept an eye on his brother, he wouldn't have snuck out in the middle of the night. As he said, <laughs> yeah. I should have had armed guards on. <laughs> 
So I was confused as to why he even you, called yes. Sherlock Holmes up there. Yeah, no, that falls apart really quickly. I, I would agree with that. But um, okay. what I like about it is that uh, the general realizes I have endangered all my troops. Yes. I have invited my brother up here to give him mm-hmm. a second chance. And he does the honorable thing and tries to kill him <laughs> to perhaps, clean up his mess. Perhaps he called Holmes up there because he knew that there was a good chance he was going to have to kill his brother and they needed an understudy for the Shakespeare festival. (laughs) The other part that it made me laugh both times I did it, friend or foe? Friend? (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to say foe? (laughs) Wait, do you have mustard gas? (laughs) Do you have a gun? Okay, I'm a foe then. (laughs) But... Foe. I mean, front. Damn. Uh, Some half word. <laughs> uh, and there's also, as Eric pointed out with the, the show must go on, this is just so meta at this mm-hmm. point when Holmes goes out to have a pipe in the open air, which would totally get you killed in World War One. <laughs> there's a whole passage in All Quiet on the Western Front where there are some people who go out with cigarettes and just get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> like at the little glowing red dot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but then Holmes just goes on this big propaganda speech aimed not at World War One soldiers, but mm. at the boys overseas. And uh, Watson actually says, you're being unusually rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's so funny after having just read All Quiet on the Western Front. So if you'll indulge me here, just to give a, a little contrast between propaganda and art. So here in this piece of propaganda is what Holmes says about the German soldiers in World War I. He describes them as thousands upon thousands of Germans, armed Germans filled with blind, fanatical hatred and a desire to kill are crouched in trenches only a mile or two from here. Now, here's an excerpt from All Quiet on the Western Front. This is German soldier Paul describing himself. He says, I am young, I am 20 years old, yet I know nothing of life but despair, death, fear, and fatuous superficiality cast over an abyss of sorrow. I see how peoples are set against one another and in silence, unknowingly, foolishly, obediently, innocently slay one another. Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So maybe this was me. I was fascinated because of all the various things I've been consuming to to see these things kind of lined up side by side. It was extremely fascinating to me for that reason. Absolutely. And you know me, I'm I'm constantly watching, reading World War II stuff. So all of that is extremely fascinating. (laughs) No. I won't spoil it. Please don't. I'm only up to 1943. (laughs) But the uh, propaganda in general is really interesting. And it's so necessary in something that is literally life and death. If you don't have good propaganda, a lot of people are going to die. And you got to get them on board. And this is so full of every single trick in the book. Or if you didn't have propaganda, you'd never fight a war because you'd never convince a bunch of regular people (laughs) to go out and kill each other while you sit on your ass. (laughs) I think in this case, propaganda, meaning we didn't start it, but we got to stop it. Mm -hmm. And how do you convince everybody? That's the only option is to go to try and stop it, especially this war. But the reality is what you can't say in propaganda, that is even a just war is... Is atrocious. Yeah. Uh, the Absolutely. humanity of it, it does not change. If you have to sell it, there's some drawback. <laughs> <Yes>. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there is a cost. But you got to give it some kind of a 
heroism. You can't say, oh, <laughs> and, oh this is going to be terrible. And you can't humanize the other side. That's why that Sherlock Holmes quote is in yeah. there, smoking there. You cannot make them humans. Otherwise, you can't shoot on them. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, I know the human. reason for it. No, it's no, just, I'm just it's saying just it's fascinating. Fa- exactly. And it is interesting that because of the timeline of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. they have to set it during World War One, And the, the parallels don't work as well as they right. want them to work, <laughs> obviously. Here's an interesting moment about being at the Paramount that I doubt I'm right, but it, I know they're live on a stage. And he says, well, let's knock on the door of Watson and get our story. And no need to do that. I'm right behind you. (laughs) To me, it sounded like he was late to the stage and wasn't behind the door. Let's uh, knock on the door. Let me just go up the stairs to the door and then I'll knock on the door and uh, (laughs) cross the street to get to the stairs. Like he came on from stage left behind him and snuck up behind him. There's so much of that. Rathbone almost makes one of those just nightmarish flubs where it's a critical moment in the story. It's after the general takes a shot at him when he's on stage. And Rathbone is supposed to say that he believes that shot wasn't intended for him, but for Maitland. And he actually says the opposite and has Mm -hmm. to go back and correct himself. (laughs) And then a few lines later, probably thrown off, which he doesn't usually do, Bruce flubs a line. Yes. And then even later, I think that machine gun fire that kills Maitland offstage interrupts a line of Watson's that doesn't sound like it was supposed to land there. Ah. It really does. And I've heard this a lot. And I'm convinced that the sound effects guy jumped his cue. When your sponsors uh, whine. <laughs> right. There's a great moment from the actor or the character of Watson. I don't know who's talking <laughs> at the moment. But he says, would you like some wine? Yeah. <laughs> what kind? Well, what do you think? It sounds like he's yep. going, oh, not, not Petri again. <laughs> it really comes off like, yeah, I guess we're drinking that crap again. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be a gag, but uh, Nigel Bruce seemed legitimately sick of it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, my God, please don't be Petri. <laughs> uh, and in the opening commercial, they describe Petri's flavor as... Mmm, mmm, what a flavor, which made me think of Campbell's Soups. <laughs> yes. Mmm, good, which made me think of drinking cold tomato soup out of a wine glass, which then made me throw up a little in my mouth. Uh, so I think that guy who wrote that copy should be fired. He's probably dead. But I still dig him up, exhume the body, and fire him. I think they should have had uh, Alan Rickman from Galaxy Quest read that. <laughs> <laughs> what a flavor. <laughs> Oh, and Nigel Bruce, those noises he makes just never get old to me. It just always sounds like he's about to throw up a hairball, doesn't he? He's like, ask me, ask me right now where I served with what regiment? Uh, where did you serve with what? <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> Injured in the line of duty. <laughs> oh my God. I have no idea what he says there. Neither does he. Yeah. He's saying rhubarb. And the final thing I really love about this is that Sherlock Holmes has superhero status at the end where just switching ID cards gets Maitland murdered by the Germans because they hate Sherlock Holmes so much. Oh, that's just it. He's condemned this guy to a life of 
Well, a life of death. Well, they end up killing him, but he or makes it sound like solving crimes in Germany. Von <laughs> <laughs> uh, Toxic becomes his Watson. <laughs> they made it sound like he was going to be tortured uh, for a long time, and they were going to try to get information out of him. Nope. The other thing is, you're a mile from the front. Why did they know that that particular machine gun fire away off in the distance was the one that killed his brother and not all the other machine guns? No, there wasn't. That was one of the clues I thought that was really cool about this. The yes. idea that as soon as Maitland arrived, the shelling stopped. Yes. And so we had this could... silence the whole time. And that was the first gunshot since Maitland arrived. So, yes, there's a leap of logic, but structurally Just it works really well. Across the trenches. Are you okay, Maitland? <laughs> Let us know if you did anything. <laughs> Tell us again how the Germans respect artists. <laughs> Seriously, that guy's Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> well, should we throw it to a vote? I have one final thing to mm-hmm. ruin this with. Throughout the little theater of the mind as I'm envisioning this there's a little where's waldo game of somewhere in the background of each scene is ned flanders <laughs> oakley dokeling the everything that happens how do you like my fields <laughs> how do you like my fields <laughs> right let's vote uh. <laughs> well joshua you start Oh, it's not a classic by any means. Like I said, I am attracted to it because of its bizarre combination of elements. Mm-hmm. And um, it does, though, show the versatility of Sherlock Holmes, even when you're trying to cram wartime propaganda in, even uh, when you have a bumbling Watson who just makes weird sounds in the background. Uh, <laughs> there's still something quintessentially recognizable as Sherlock Holmes it doesn't stand the test of time as in you have to look at it through this uh, lens of the war and particularly this desperate final moments of the war. And it's just a personal favorite of mine for all those reasons. And I'm sorry I subjected you to it, but uh, I personally love it, but don't expect everyone else to. Here's the deal. Everything you just said is 100% what I would say. So that's my vote. If you had sent this to me and said, Hey, a little bit off kilter, a little bit of an oddball Sherlock Holmes, prepare yourself. I would have gone through it like, oh, okay, and come to the same conclusion I came to the second time I listened to it. (laughs) I appreciated all the oddballness, and you get what I'm getting Mm -hmm. at? But everything you just said is my exact vote. I think it's historically fascinating. And just an interesting take on Sherlock Holmes in general. I Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, It it was fun. It was yes. so much fun. Probably not the tone they were wanting to get there of like, well, we got to keep fighting. Like, yay, I'm delighted by this horrible moment in history. But every twist of the character they took took me by surprise. And, mm-hmm. and it was done in a way that delighted me. And, you know, the part of the ticket price is come see Basil Rathbone, Duke St. Crispin Day, which is good. Yeah. Really yeah. good. And one... Final, 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 final thought. When he took the stage as Sherlock Holmes, I, it was like every episode of Hogan's Heroes when they did some kind of show in my head. Like they were. <laughs> <laughs> I could have listened to this with more Sherlock Holmes doing more Shakespeare. I think that would have been really fun. Like the entire Henry V, all of it. 
they cut right to the end of every yes. monologue. They did not yeah. trust Rathbone to get through a <laughs> Shakespeare <laughs> monologue. He did great with what he had. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That's where this podcast lives. You'll find other episodes there. You can leave comments. You can vote in polls to let us know what you think about these episodes. We do want to know. We love your comments. You can also send us messages if you have stuff you want to request. If you just want to say something a little more elaborate than forks in a comment. I don't know. I don't know how you talk. You can also link to our social media pages. You can link to our YouTube. You can link to our Threadless store to buy swag. And you can get to our Patreon account. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Even if you don't have any money. <laughs> the show must go on. <laughs> Do it. And if you'd like to see us perform live, please uh, come see the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater uh, as we do recreations and adaptations of classic old-time radio shows and a lot of our own original work. We perform monthly, have been for many years. If you want to see where we are on any given month at what theater space, just go to ghoulishdelights.com or Mysterious Old Radio Listening society.com to see what shows uh, we're performing and where if you are not in the twin cities area and can't see us live you can still see us just buy a ticket and watch the live stream it's really good we got great techs that do a great job it's a great show and if you can't watch that night you can still see it because we'll record it so we'll get your ticket money we'll get it from you <laughs> unless you're a patreon then you get it for free. <laughs> Minus what you pay us. Right. All right, what's coming up next? Next. Change in plan. Next time, we will be listening to Bon Voyage from Lights Out. Until then. So the Germans will think they've captured Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir. And unless I'm much mistaken, he'll receive very short shrift of their hands. Yes, I hate you. Are you okay, Maitland? <laughs> <laughs>